On June 25th, 2005, in Muskegon, Michigan, a 22-year-old man goes missing. 22 days later, he's found drowned in a lake, but he is upright and has no water in his lung. What exactly happened to this young man? You're listening to the Mysterious Brews podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Todd Gieb. snotty deep dark covid filled basement <laughs> somewhere in the bowels of georgia yeah it's not gonna be a great episode for me man i am sick yeah thank well you gave me- yeah you thank can you think all you want owner. boy think all you want i ain't kissed on you since before thanksgiving well the good news is i'm not gonna dwell on i'm not gonna be that guy but the drought is over. If you follow us on the Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, I put it out there. 42 years later, Georgia can finally not hear about second and 26 in the national championship again. You have finally kicked the monkey, killed the gorilla. Top of the band. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, as a Tennessee fan, have missed that great feeling for. 23 years or so, I think. Well, it, it pains me to say this, but y'all are on the up and up. I think y'all finally got a good coach if they'll leave him alone. Yeah, I mean, he did. He's He had the best winning percentage of a first-year head coach in a Power 5 conference of all time. Yeah, so if they just leave him alone, let him do his thing, you know, kind of like the guy at Auburn, I think he's on the right track too. So Really wish that Georgia Tech running back would have came came up, but he didn't. No, nope, he's going to Alabama. Yeah, I guess he wants to be an SEC champion or national title runner-up, whichever. Oh, that's killing me. That's pretty good. All right. <laughs> so, um, let's get after it, man. Let's uh, let's dive into Todd Gieb. Actually, hold well, on. This is uh, Before we do that, I weird. think we have a new patron. No, 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 no. Don't interrupt me. We do. I'm sorry, go ahead. We have (laughs) a new patron, Andrea Sizemore. I may have already shouted her out, so we'll just do it. It don't matter. Shout her out. Andrea Sizemore at the $3 sticker tier. Welcome aboard, Andrea. Do we even have stickers anymore? Yes, you still have like 400 of them that I gave you when you was going to tour the Midwest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like the third time you've reminded me of those. I need to get them out of my, what's that thing called in your car where you put stuff in it? Glove box? Yeah, there you go. Center console? (laughs) Glove box. (laughs) All right. 
So before All right, thinking clearly. I'm congested. That's the one thing the I'll tell you, man. I had it over Christmas and I'm still fighting sinus stuff, so Well my sinuses hate me anyway. Yeah, so mine did too, so welcome to the COVID. Welcome to the COVID. All I right. kinda figure if I just don't tell nobody I can just keep going to work. Well you can. I mean yeah. If they can let nurses come back after five days and test positive, I think you're okay teaching children. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? Nothing. I'll get close to them anyway. Yeah. So. All right. So we're going to jump into this. Not a fan. Todd. Not a fan. Todd Gieber. No. Nope. Nope. Keep interrupting you. Okay. You just do you, I man. Think it's funny. You just do you. So, of all the cases we've done, this one is again mysterious. We may have to embrace the theme. Are we gonna have to change the podcast? I'm just saying it's it's I think it's suitably named. Oh, okay. As long as you're sure. Cause we uh we, we have deviled uh, deviled dabbled in several mysterious things and this is not this is this is gonna be with it. Okay. Right up there. Good deal, man. I'm glad we're stay, sticking with the stick. contribution to the podcast. Now I'm going to sit back and be quiet. And try not to <laughs> snort ah, you're killing me. More than I usually do. Killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. All right, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. 22-year-old Todd Gieb seemed to have everything going for him. He had a good job with Hagger Distribution Incorporated in Wyoming and enjoyed participating in outdoor activities. Friends and family described Todd as friendly, smart, and outgoing. Now, Todd lived with his cousin at 291 Moon Court in Casnovia, Michigan, located just off North Nuego Road, or M37 up there in Michigan, at Half Moon Lake. So on Saturday, the 11th of June, 2005, Todd had spent time with his parents at their home in nearby Ravenna at around 7.30 p.m., Todd had arrived back at his apartment, and him and his cousin decided that they were going to go to the Half Moon Bar and Grill to meet up with some other friends. He left with his friends at around 9.30 p.m. to head to the bar. That night, an annual kegger was being hosted in an abandoned orchard about two miles north of White Road in Casnovia, Michigan, and Todd wanted to attend. Well, if it's an annual kegger, I mean, I don't know about Michigan, but... When I was 22, if you said the word kegger, I'm there. Shit, you, I'm 40 years old. So they decide you to have free beer. I'm there. They decide to head. I'm going to end up getting arrested. Like, there'll be a warrant out for me, and I'll, they won't be able to catch me. And then they'll just send me an invitation to a kegger. They're like, this is like cheese to a mouse. <laughs> so this kegger is two miles north of White Road in Casnovia, and Todd and his cousin are headed that way. It was a fairly large party consisting of over 50 people. Now, the kegger was actually about a mile and a half from where Todd and his cousin live. Uh, he had a friend slash some reports say it was his cousin that dropped him off. Some say it was a different friend. But anyway, for the sake of an argument, we're going to say cousin. His cousin dropped him off at the party (laughs) without incident. At around 12.45 a.m., things were starting to get pretty rowdy at the party with a fight breaking out, and that threatened to transform 
the entire party into a full-on brawl. Now, this incident seems to have been enough to persuade Todd to head to the house. So he left the party. Oh, man, that's when I know the party's getting good. <laughs> when there's an all-out brawl. <laughs> that's when you go back to the keg and just watch. Yeah. So Todd left the party on foot, calling uh, his cousin who had dropped him off to let the, him know, or her know, he was on his way home. So he left a message saying he was going to walk back to his cousin's place, which no one really thought much of it since it was nearby and he was familiar with the area. Now things get a little weird from this point forward. So from about 12.47 a.m. to about 12.57 a.m., Todd made a series of phone calls that were a bit weird or odd, to say the least. In one, he called a friend and simply said, I've had enough. In another, he simply said, I'm in a field before the phone went dead. Now, the, the concerned friend called back and the phone picked up, but all she could hear was what sounded like either heavy breathing or rushing of wind before the call cut out again. Now, according to reports, the phone was not used again after that and no further calls went through. The last person to hear from Todd was his sister. After that, it was as though Todd had vanished into thin air. A massive search was mounted to try and find Todd, including around 1,500 police and volunteers, as well as aircraft who scoured the orchard and the area around the party site, as well as the stretch of road where they expected Todd to have walked along to get home, but they found nothing, even after thoroughly searching those areas three separate times. It was as if Todd had vanished off the face of the earth. That is, until 21 days later, on July 2nd, 2005, when a couple saw Todd, according to them, standing upright in Ovidal Lake, which is located just to the north of the intersection of Peters and White Road. Now, Ovidal Lake is less than two miles away from Todd's home on Moon Court, but it seems like it is not in the direction that he would have taken to head home. Now, this is right in the middle of the area that was searched completely and thoroughly. Then there was the fact that, that his body was reported, like the couple said, standing upright in the water with the head and shoulders breaking the surface as if he had been swimming and just got stuck in the mud. Rather strange was that he was still fully clothed with his wallet still in his pocket. So the big question was, how had he gotten into that lake and perished? Well, I mean, how is he standing upright? That's crazy. And the way it looks, and there's like, there was a reconstruction photo, an article that I saw. And it looks like, I mean, he's just slumped over from about mid chest with his face a couple of inches above the water, kind of like a dead man's float if you were floating, but he's actually standing. Yeah, no, I mean, that's just crazy. Now, a police officer told Todd's mom that they suspected Todd had gone swimming. Now, keep in mind, he's fully clothed with his wallet in his pocket. You'd have yes. to be pretty drunk to do that. And the police officer... I mean, we're not above it. <laughs> true, especially in July. Now, January, you're not going to catch me anywhere near it. The police officer continues and says to, the, to Todd's mom that he had accidentally drowned to being intoxicated. Now, when they 
did the postmortem examination, he had a blood alcohol content of 0.12. Which is, I mean, that's drunk, but... It's not slobbering. No. That's probably, what do you think, four beer, five beers in an hour? No, uh, probably a little more. I don't know. We're not experts on that. We just know that we drink four or five beers an hour. True. <laughs> we don't go swimming, that's for sure. Now, the thing that the autopsy revealed was that Todd had no water in his lungs, so that has to rule out accidental drowning. Yeah, you can't drown if you don't drown. That's right. And Pretty if, hard to. If you don't know what we're talking about, that means that when a person drowns, they have a collection of water in their lungs. They also tend to float face down. Now, it was deduced that he had gone to the party, gotten smashed, and then left to go wandering around before finding himself in the lake to drown while drunk out of his mind. Now, considering the levels of alcohol in his system, this seemed to be perfectly rational deduction, but what about the strange calls he made and how had his body evaded detection during three separate searches throughout the area? It was also seen... <laughs> I'm stumped. <laughs> well, you and everybody else has read this case. <laughs> it was also seen as odd that typically that drowning victims are bobbing about face down in the water. So how he managed to stay upright just eerily standing there is crazy. The other thing that complicates this case is the time frame and the time of death. At a 2009 medical examiner's conference, Dr. Michael Sekirica, a board-certified forensic pathologist and CEO of Forensic Identification and Profiling Laboratory, presented crime scene recovery and autopsy photos to other forensic pathologists, and everyone who saw them agreed that Todd had only been dead two to five days before his body was found. So what does this mean? It means that Todd could have been the victim of foul play, i.e. a homicide. And not just any plain old homicide, but a kidnapping and an unlawful detainment by an unknown captor or possibly a group of captors. Now, Todd wasn't a small guy. He was five foot eleven and about 180 pounds, and even an intoxicated Todd would have been tough to disable and kidnap. As an athlete and avid outdoorsman, Todd had physical strength and survival know-how. He likely wouldn't have spent three weeks wandering around lost in an area so close to his home, and he probably wouldn't have gone swimming fully clothed after having been missing for three weeks. Someone killed Mr. Todd Gee. And if you ask some of the conspiracy-minded folks on the online community, they might tell you that Todd was a victim of a worldwide group of killers that have taken the lives of well over 40 college-age men over the past few decades. Let's see. Okay. You know, I've, I've learned a lot about the smiley face killers, but come on, man worldwide conglomeration of people. I don't know. I don't know if I buy it. Do you buy it? No. Here's what I think. I think the if you find the smiley face at the crime scene, I think you have a legitimate argument that someone is leaving that as a calling card. 
But sometimes they scour the area, and when they say the area, they mean up to a mile or a mile and a half away and find a smiley face. That's not a calling card. So I'm with no. you. Of those 40, there's probably, I don't know, what do you say, four to eight that are that could be serial killer material. It's just, I don't, I mean, it doesn't, the method, the method doesn't make sense. You, I mean, you don't, you don't torture them. You don't do anything. You drown them. And they're all college aged men who have been drinking. I, that, I don't know. I just, there's no rhyme or reason behind it. They're not robbed. They're not tortured. They're not beaten. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And for them to try and tie it into so many different killings in so many different places, that would mean that there's a literal cabal of people that are involved. And all it takes is one of them to slip up. All it takes is one of them to get arrested, one of them to... Yeah, two men can keep a secret if one of them's dead. Exactly. Yeah. Three people have no chance of keeping a secret. So, I mean, unless you're in, in the Illuminati, they, they've been pretty good about it. Yeah, but I think they've got like blackmail and you have to hand over one of your small children. And it's just crazy about those Illuminators. Yeah. But despite the weird details, in the eyes of the authorities, the case was closed. But of course, there are those who do not buy the official ruling. The man's family questioned why he would have suddenly decided to take a swim in a pond while fully clothed, and an independent investigation by forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Sikirka found... They're gonna, go ahead. They're going to rule it as uh, accidental drowning, but he didn't drown. Right, right. That's what I don't understand. You can't drown if you don't have water in your lungs. I mean, how did the man die? That's my biggest thing. Now, that forensic pathologist that we discussed earlier, Dr. Michael Sikirka... Found by careful analysis of the photos and autopsy data that while Todd had been missing for three weeks, he had only been dead for two to five days like we previously stated. It was also determined that he had, again, no water in his lungs and that there were many clues that pointed to the body being placed in the water after Todd had passed. Now, Dr. M. Eric Benbow, a forensic biologist from the Michigan State University, who re-examined Todd's case would say of the state of the body, quote, there should have been more biofilm, more slime buildup. The other thing, it looks like part of his head was exposed. There should be insects in the clothing, even in the mouth, in and on the ears, in the folds of the skin. That's where these flies will typically lay their eggs. They've evolved to be attracted to dead things within minutes to hours to a day. We saw none of this in Todd's shirt. Carcasses are consumed pretty quickly and dramatically. If a body was here, it would be colonized with some type of aquatic insect. Given our experiment, I find it very surprising that Todd's body had no reported insect activity and the clothing had no algal development. Based on our study, it is unlikely that his clothing and his body had been in the water for 21 days. Now, this heavily suggests that Todd's body had been put into the water not long before the couple found him, detracting from the official verdict that his death was a drunken misadventure. This was corroborated by other experts and all strongly points to the possibility that Todd was, in fact, murdered 
Yet the Michigan State Police have never reopened the case, much to the consternation of Gibbs' family. It would later be found that Todd had traces of the antidepressants amitriptyline and dyspepramine in his system, although he had not ever been prescribed these, and it is unknown why he had taken them or what connection they had at all. Now, it is quite possible that they were given to Todd against his will, and considering the fact that they cause side effects such as hallucinations, confusion, agitation, cardiac arrest, coma, and seizures, it certainly seems suspicious. Now, Kathy Gibb, Todd's mother, has continually fought to get the case reopened, but authorities have refused to do so. Despite the evidence against accidental drowning, we may never know just what happened to Todd Gibb or what his last calls really meant. What happened to him out there is one of the main questions. Why were there no clues, and why was it all conveniently ruled as a drowning despite all the clues suggesting otherwise? And it is yet another unsolved death likely to remain in the shadows for some time to come. Now, like we kind of hinted at, you know, they try to lump this into the smiley killer or smiley face killer genre, I guess is the best way to say it. And the reason is it's an undetermined drowning. He had alcohol and antidepressants in his system. Now, the family said that he was not suffering from any form of depression at the time of his death and would not have been prescribed those two medications, leading investigators to believe he had possibly given been given the substances unbeknownst to him. Former New York Police Department detectives Kevin Gannon, Anthony Duarte, Michael Donovan, and Professor of Criminal Justice Dr. Lee Gilbertson contend that Todd could potentially be a victim, like we said, of the Smiley Face Killers. Now, that team also believes the assailants drug young men with debilitating substances such as GHB. Now, I don't know if those two medications mirror the effects of GHB, but it sounds like that they're worse. All right, Gannon and Dr. Gilbertson met with pharmacist David McDiarmid to learn more about the 500 nanograms of medication found in Gibbs' autopsy report. Both dyspyramine and amitriptyline are in the same drug classes, according to the professor, I mean the pharmacist, and they would not typically be prescribed to the same patient because they have additive effects. Quote, you would have two tricyclic amamines doing the same thing. That's going to cause increased risk for side effects, increased risk for hallucination, confusion, and agitation. Now, while the medications are not known to be abused or taken on a recreational basis, the pharmacist said that the pills could, quote, easily be crushed up and slipped into a drink. He noted that the recipient of the drugs could start seeing symptoms such as confusion, hallucinations, cardiac arrest, coma, and seizures within an hour of consumption. Quote, these are life-threatening issues, said McDiarmid, adding that one could also overdose on this type of drug. When Todd's mother, Kathy, saw a recovery photograph of her son, she immediately disagreed with local enforcement theory of accidental drowning. And that is, quote, he was not in the condition to be in there three weeks. I did my research and found out what condition people would be like if they were in the water three weeks. According to the autopsy report, Todd's remains 
only had moderate decomp, and his clothing appeared to be fairly clean of algal biofilm. The thin slime film of bacteria often found at the surface of various bodies of water. There was no mention of insects, debris, or sand on the body. Todd was also floating vertically in the lake, which is unusual for a drowning victim. Now, Dr. Benbow noted that if Todd's body was in the lake 21 days, he would have expected to see more biofilm and more slime buildup plus skin slippage. Quote, the other thing, it looks like part of his head was exposed and there should be insects all in his clothing and all in his mouth, end quote. With Dr. Benbow and his team of scientists... Did you die? What are you talking about? That's a, that's a lot of damn noise. <laughs> oh, it did, oh shit! I'm sorry. I just moved. Oh, okay. I was like, damn. Did he? Did he die? But anyway, all right. So let's get back. lean back, man. Okay, man. I'm sorry, dude. So Dr. Benbow and his team of scientists have done numerous aquatic decomposition studies. He said the carcasses are consumed pretty quickly and dramatically. And if a body was here, it would be colonized with some type of aquatic insect. To test if Todd was indeed in the water for three weeks, as police originally theorized, Dr. Benbow suggested placing swine carcasses into an experimental pond for three weeks, dressed in clothing resembling Todd's outfit. Quote, swine carcasses... Where do I get a job like that? I want to do that. I know, that'd be cool. That should be my calling, is dressing up pigs in human clothing and putting them in water. And seeing if... They're either turtles, turtles eat them, or insects decompose them. I just loved how you didn't acknowledge that at all. You just kept on going. I interrupted you. No, that's what I'm saying. I, I was agreeing uh-huh. with you. That's what I, I would love to do that and see if turtles eat them or insects eat them. Oh well, yeah. Let's let's try it. I mean, there's nothing stopping us from doing that. Well, you got connections yeah. to the University of Tennessee's body farm, so won't you give them a call? I don't have any connections. I'm just going to... Well, just know. go up there and say, roll tide. They'll let you in. <laughs> Be like, yep, we got another brainless one here. And I'm just joking. I'm just joking, <laughs> Alabama fans. I'm just joking. We ain't got no Alabama fans listening. All right. So... They're too busy. Uh, well, I'm not going to say. All right. So, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Benbow explains, quote, swine carcasses are really similar in terms of the way that they decompose. The skin is very similar, end quote. Now, he replicated Todd's case five separate times using five separate carcasses, sampling three every other day and leaving two untouched for the entirety of the 20-day or 21-day experiment. The carcasses collected aquatic insects within the first day, and by day three, the insects had laid eggs. On day 21, the carcasses completely collapsed from insect activity, and the clothes were covered in thick green biofilm algal layers. Quote, we saw none of this in Todd's shirt, Dr. Benbow told Gannon and Dr. Gilbertson. Given our experiment, I find it very surprising that Todd's body had no reported insect activity and the clothing had no algal development. Based on our study, it is unlikely that his clothing and his body had been in the water for 21 days, end quote. Now, it's impossible. Yeah. Impossible. Yeah, basically, he was there for what it sounds like less than a day. Where the hell was he? I don't know. And see, and that's another thing that, and we can get into it, but... 
Gannon and his team believe that Benbow's experiment substantiates the, their claim that Todd was put in the water shortly before the couple found him, so less than 12 hours. Gannon and Kathy, Todd's mom, presented these findings along with other evidence to the Michigan State Police, who granted Kathy a meeting with the Muskegon County Prosecutor. Now, the Muskegon County Prosecutor requested a full analysis of the discovery, and Kathy is still waiting to hear if they will reinvestigate Todd's case. Now, that's the facts of the case, and like Coach had alluded to there, where was he? So, I mean, let's say that he, I mean, really, you're looking at 20 and a half days because that experiment said that there was algae and insect with egg laying within one day. So he had to be there less than, I would say, less than 12 hours. No more than probably 14. So, I mean, like you said, and I've not seen a picture of the pond. There was, is it one of those that's, you know, got a grassy bank, so you're not going to see footprints. I don't know, man. It's This one is a head scratcher for sure because there's just like he was dropped into the pond standing straight up. Yeah, and there's there's nothing, there's no evidence to indicate that he was there the whole time. Correct. And, and so where could he have possibly been? I think this does, I mean, of course, it just, we're not going to answer anything, but I'm saying, like, I think this leads into people believing more about a smiley face killer syndicate because that would explain why he was gone. They were holding him. They were holding him hostage. Well, and I don't know if this has been talked about because I've not really gotten on message boards and looked, but do you think it's one of those things where somebody on the Internet kind of has done one of these and they kind of posted how they did it, like on the dark web, not on the regular surface web. But like, this is how I got away with it. I did this, 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 and this, and this is how I, st and then kind of put it on the dark web. And then people are copying that MO. I mean, I know that's a stretch, but that's about the only thing I can come up with if it is truly the same MO. I just can't buy into it, man. I can't believe that, there's going to be a secret cabal of people that are just drowning people. You know, I can believe that you're getting kidnapped, you're torturing them, you're doing this, but what's the point of just drowning someone? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. My main question, and I couldn't find it, was where was this smiley face supposedly located? There was none. There was not one. Oh, there was not. Okay. Just, yeah, it just kind of fits that same criteria. So everything but the smiley face calling card is similar. Correct. Okay, that makes more sense. Because I was like... Yeah, there's no smiley face in this case, but... I don't know, man. I don't know what happened to him. I do know that he wasn't in the water the whole time, so he was doing something. He was found intoxicated. So somebody knows where he was. Yeah, and that's one thing that I didn't dawn on me was the fact that his blood alcohol was still 0.12, and if he had been found the next day, you could chalk that up to the kegger, but you're not going to, what is it? In the initial stages of decomp, your alcohol content in the body rises, but then it starts to slowly decrease. So I have no idea. I, I'm pretty sure that you're not going to have a 0.12 if you're sitting in or standing in a body of water for three weeks. No. 
and not then at all. it's an insult to the family because they searched that area three separate times with search teams and uh, aerial searches. So you would have seen yeah. somebody in the middle of a pond just standing there. Just chilling. Just standing out in the middle of the pond, chilling. And then again, I mean, but he didn't drown. How did he even die? That's the biggest question. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's crazy. Well, tune in next time. When <laughs> we don't answer shit. <laughs> I think we're going to have to do a, I think we're going to have to break down and do a solved one at some point because this shit's getting <laughs> frustrating. Uh, we, I'm sure there's people out there that want us to tackle some big high profile cases. So, I mean, we might as well give some answers, make it real short. Be like, uh, yeah, he did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, um, Ted Bundy the whole time it was Ted motherfucking Bundy. One thing that we usually do at this moment is give our recommendations. But if you are not following us on social media, um, first of all, ask yourself why, because we're everywhere. Yeah. I mean, come on. We have Get a, and follow us on the group and Facebook. Cause I post a lot of funny stuff, but instead of recommendations this week, I wanted to take the time to really give our heartfelt condolences to Miss Kim Phillips' uh, family. Kim was one of our first Patreon members. She reached out to us within the first, I'd say what, the first 10 episodes and gave, put us on to Rebecca Gould's case. One of our uh, first listeners. She treated us like we were her family, which if you grow up in the South, that's just the way, you know, when somebody really enjoys your company, they, they treat you like family. And, you know, I'm not lying and I'm not making things up and I'm not embellishing. She really did. She talked to us like we were her grandchildren. She always pumped us up, told us we were doing great. When she gave us Rebecca's uh, file, she put us in contact with Jennifer Bucholtz. And I know Miss Bucholtz has taken Kim's loss very hard. They had plans to sit together at the trial for that POS that they have arrested in Rebecca's case. You know, while we never physically got to meet her, uh, I feel like I knew her. I feel like if at any time we called and said, Hey, we're going to be in the area. She'd be like, Hey, I got a bedroom. Y'all crash here. And then she would have made us a spread of food and she would have just, you know, been over backwards and opened us. You know, she was a good lady. She was good a lady. Very good lady. She sent me a very nice, sweet voicemail right after we interviewed Jennifer Bucholtz on the Zodiac killer case that we did. And she just pumped us up and talked about how great we are and how the sky's the limit for us. And she's so proud of us. And we need to keep on, keep our heads down, keep doing things. We're doing good work. And I just, you know, when I found out Sunday or Saturday, late Saturday night, it was a gut punch. And, and then I let Coach know, and he was just as shocked as I was. But, you know, we don't have much of a voice, but what we do have, I wanted to honor her. She will greatly be missed. She, I know her family has reached out to us on Facebook and and thanked us for the kind words. But really, I just feel like this is something that we should have done, whether we 
you know, whether the family ever saw it or not. So yeah, no doubt. No recommendations this week. We just, I guess my recommendation would have been, you know, go hug your loved ones because you never know. I mean, she was sick. Talk to Jennifer Bucholt. She was sick. I, not anything severe. Jennifer said she had a cold, I think, and she talked to her Tuesday. She said, she, oh, I just got one of those sicknesses. I'm going to get over it. And then uh, Wednesday morning is when she passed. So I just. Life's short, man. It is. So, you know, don't take anything for granted. Make sure that you, uh, the old cliche, live it to the fullest because you never know. You never know. But uh, you got anything else there, Slappy? Oh, man, you know I don't, other than congestion. (laughs) Well, deuces.